Welcome to the second first episode of the Legion's Initiative podcast. Today, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Kristen. Kristen, where might people find some of your work? Hey, PJ. It's good to be back, finally. Uh, I put content out on Hipsters of the Coast. Uh, I have a column there called Legion's Landing, hashtag branding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a long time coming since episode zero. Cool. Yeah, we have a bunch of things to talk about today. Uh, we've both been to separate GPs. Uh, we're going to talk about those a little bit. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about a lot of Commander 2019 and how things have actually been playing. I know there's a lot of hype uh, and a lot of stuff with previews, but now we want to actually find out how well some of these commanders are actually playing and some of the cards in the 99s. So we've picked out a curated list of some commanders and some new cards to talk about. And then finally, we'll wrap up with some hidden gems and some uh, plays of the week, some fun plays that we've both made in some of the games that we've been playing. Sounds and, like a plan. And so with that, let's get going. You went to GP Birmingham recently, correct? Indeed. Uh, it was pretty cool. Um, it was a little smaller than Vegas, and uh, you could tell that by the fact that there were two artists in total um, at GP Birmingham. Just two? Two, yeah. It was, uh, it was pretty quiet on that front. Um, I spent most of the weekend playing Commander. Uh, also got to do a Chaos Draft. Uh, when you Very open cool. a Glorybringer and a Chupacabra, you know you're in for a good time. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, me and my, yeah, me and my friend got to the finals, we split the ticks, nice. and then we opened some Modern Horizons packs, and Sweet. I got myself another Sunbaked Canyon that I needed, so Ooh, all is yeah. good in the world. Nice. I uh, played a lot of Commander over the weekend. I took uh, Aurelia with me, I took Akiri Bruce, uh, and I also took, oh, what did I take? I think I took Ronus, maybe. Ronus is a good deck, it's fun. Um, I think the highlight of the, the weekend for me was winning five player games with Boris to commander damage and combat damage. It was pretty fun. Um, uh, in one game, I managed to take out three players in the same turn uh, with Aurelia. Feels nice, feels nice. Helped somewhat by the fact that one of the other red players at the table played a Wars Toll and I'd just been ramping all game. So the blue <laughs> player couldn't really stop me. <laughs> right, yeah, they got to tap um, out, yep to go off with smothering tide in that turn get a load of creatures into play with haste thanks to um Erebrask and yeah smashed face it was great nice um and then i the other highlight i guess for me was playing games with uh vince otherwise known as pleasant kenobi um he was down there got to hang out with some of his patrons uh it was a really fun experience i was playing in a pod with him and four of three of the people, so a five player pod again. Uh, I was playing a Kiri Bruce. I managed to win that one too. Um, it was just down to me and him, and he was playing Perforos um, with a load of goblins. I'd thankfully gained quite a lot of life off Bruce Tal that game, and yeah, I had a comeuppance, had a comeuppance in my hand, yeah. but I had to bait him into swinging. Yeah. So I took yeah. like nearly 30 damage from Perforos triggers so that Ooh. he would then go all in on, on combat. Right. The mistake was swinging with Stuffy Doll, let me tell you. Um, so that, then I... Uh, is that a feedback loop? Would that kill him? Uh, no. Um, I don't know. Whoa, that's interesting. But anyways, long story short, come up and wiped his board, managed to get a bit of tempo back, and then got a Rogue's Passage off the top to finish it with commander damage. Nice. I, uh, I heard he was particularly excited about losing Boros in that match. Yeah, like, I mean, the only thing worse to losing to Boris is losing to Boris in a five-player game. <laughs> <laughs> a 
and then telling your friends you had to lose to Boros in a five-player game. Yeah, yeah. He got me back later on when we cubed and just smashed my face in, so it's fine. It's okay, we're going <laughs> to yeah. cut that part out. We're not going to talk about, <laughs> about that part. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Birmingham was fun. Um, I also managed to upgrade my Sword of Light and Shadow into a Masterpiece by trading some stuff into a vendor. Ooh, so that nice. was cool. Um, so yeah, GPs are always good fun. Got to meet some cool people. Um, how about you? How was Vegas? Vegas was insane. Like, uh, there's not enough time for me to go into the depth that is required to talk about Vegas in such a short setting. But, you know, just like you're talking about, you had two artists. I don't know. There were like 10 or 15 at Vegas. Like, just all of the artists. They had all of the artists. I played a ton of games. They had the Command Zone area, which was super awesome. Um, I don't know. I didn't count, but somewhere between probably 500 and 1,000 tables of for like, or at least seats, 500 and 1,000 seats for just commander play. And, Crazy, right? Yeah, exactly. And it was super awesome. Uh, I got to talk. To, I talked to so many people. I made a list somewhere just so I remember everyone. But I talked to uh, Jumbo Commander for a few moments. Talked to Jimmy Wong for like 10 uninterrupted minutes, which was awesome. Mm. Uh, I hope this was a good list, by the way, not like a Liam Neeson and Taken list. Like, no, I'm going to no, find no. you. I'm going to defeat you. <laughs> no, not that guy. <laughs> uh, no, it was just, uh, I just like, every day I met someone, like I met a bunch of people, I would just write it down when I got home at the end of the day, just to like, remember who I talked to, because like, I'm like, wait, there's a lot of people here. I'm going to forget if I don't write this down. So, you know, if like there were people that I had to follow up with, I made a note of that, that kind of stuff mm, too. Yeah. Um, I kind of did that similar when we did the command summit. I was like, right, I need to make note of all these people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did meet Josh and uh, Pleasant Kenobi Vince, but that was like at the casino at the hotel and it was pretty late at night. So like, I'm not entirely sure they remember that interaction. Uh, and that's fair, but uh, yeah. So Sounds I like you had an amazing time. It was really, really cool. And uh, to anyone who might want to go next year, I recommend staying in the hotel that's like, you know, sponsored by the event because that's like where most of the content creators stay and you just run into people on happenstance. I ended up getting breakfast with Connor from Spice 8 Rack and uh, Brett from Kitchen Table Commander and, you know, just people Connor's running around all... Connor's such a lovely expert, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he, he's awesome. Uh, him and my girlfriend, Veronica, hit it off really well, and they had some very in-depth discussions at the breakfast table uh, <laughs> about how humanity could be a little bit better, so uh, that was very cool. It definitely sounds like Connor. Yeah, yeah. I'm pleased. I'm pleased. It sounds like you had a fantastic time. Like, I am, you know, slightly jealous because Vegas is, like, the GP, right? It's the top of the top of the class for GPs. Yeah, um, maybe next year. Maybe I'll stay up. Yeah, it, it was really cool. It was massive. I, I can't explain the sheer scope. Like I haven't even barely even touched upon like the Friday night commander party and all the stuff. It was just it was pure insanity. It was really, really cool uh, to anyone that wants to go uh, yourself included. Vegas is like the most expensive place on Earth. Just bring there is no amount of money you could bring. Just bring all the money and we didn't really even get into the gambling or anything like that. That's just like literally going to shows and getting dinner. And, you know, there's hundreds of dollars falling out of your pocket each day. So. Sounds like you uh, you could have done with a, a little goblin that was able to get you some more cash. You know, yeah. Maybe like a, like, a, like a dockside extortionist. Oh, that card. Yeah. Talk <laughs> about Commander 19. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to Commander 19. What are your general impressions of the set? Uh, so 
My first impression, I guess, is that as a self-contained product and a self-contained meta game, I think it's very balanced and has some nice, nice interaction between the decks. Like there's definitely some plays that can be done there towards that meta game. And I think the decks do have quite a lot of ability to play against each other. Yeah. Um, uh, I did get to play the pre-cons at the uh, Friday Night Commander Party. I did notice that maybe the Jeskai deck was lacking just a teeny bit behind the other decks. I think the Jeskai deck is probably also a bit more skill-intensive to play, so if you're like a newer player, like understanding how to play control and knowing when you need to blow up the board, it seemed to have a decent amount of removal, just knowing when you have to use that stuff. Yeah, because as a pre-con, obviously, it's not going to be loaded with the most efficient win conditions, but recognizing what the win conditions are and how to play your game to get to them, I think with that deck is a little more difficult, yeah. I, I played Anya, and there was so much recursion in that deck. Like, it was insane how much recursion that deck has. Like, I lost my stuff three or four times. I'm like, oh, I'll just get it back again. It's back. So I found that really, really impressive. And, I mean, when I lost the game, it was to, like, a big, big token swing where, like, everyone at the table died. But when I died, I still had, like, I don't know, six or seven cards in hand and, like, a lot of things to do. And it was probably between like turn 15 and turn 20. It was very late into the game. So that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's much worth in us sort of talking about the, the finance side of things and the reprints. I think it can be kind of summed up in that there's some cool cards, but I think that the value that has been in some of the previous commander products, maybe not last year, but before that at least. And it just felt a little bit kind of weak. You're saying 19 felt a little bit weaker compared to like, uh 17 or 16 yeah i might agree there but also better than 18 so kind of a step in the right direction i guess but like if you bought a pre-con there are some cards in the pre-cons brand new cards that are going a few dollars so you know if you were able to get the the pre-cons for like 40 45 i think you're doing just fine yeah yeah i agree so yeah so shall we talk about the generals first or shall we talk about the uh the 99s I'm going to go with the generals first, just because I have them on the sheet first. For okay. no reason other than that. <laughs> Generally speaking, it's good to stick to an order, isn't it? Okay, so moving on to the Commander 19 generals. Uh, we've picked a small curated list of a few that we're going to talk about uh, just for time. We won't be able to talk about all of them. There are about 15 new ones. So we picked about eight or so of the new ones to talk about. So the first one up will be Elsha. Have you had the chance to play with or against Elsha at all? Um, I find Elsha pretty fun to play, honestly. Um, I built myself a storm-based deck um, okay. to take advantage of the being able to play the top card of the library if it's non-creature, non-land. Right. Um, so for anyone that's uninitiated, uh, the easiest way to storm off with that is to use Sensei's Divining Top and then something that will discount the cost of your artifact spells. Um, so Ethereum, is it Ethereum Sculptor? Uh, Ugin, the new Ugin does that too, uh, reducing them by two. So you can effectively draw through your entire deck and increase the storm count and the prowess triggers by essentially as many cards as you have. In your estimation, how easy is it to assemble that combo? I found it quite easy. It could be incredibly easy if you were going like all out and built yourself a, a really tuned version of the deck because uh, mine's not like super tuned yet because I, it's not the kind of deck that I usually build. Um, but I found it quite quite consistent. Um, a couple of different win cons. Um, I had Perforos and then um, Empty the Warrens. I also had the new Sahili, the Uncommon, uh, Sublime Artificer. 
Okay. Um, she makes tokens when you cast non-creature spells, so same thing with that. Uh, and then I also had Chandra's Ignition, because if Elsha gets really big, she can just obliterate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that will work. I myself have seen one iteration of Elsha, and uh, they were trying to do the storm off thing as quickly as possible. Like, it was a pretty competitive setting. Not quite CEDH, but probably, like, we'll say, like, Tier 2 or something like that. <laughs> and uh, everyone in that game just got locked, locked down by a really hardcore Marin Stacks deck, so, like, no one could do anything. Uh, there was like a turn one root maze, and that made everyone go in slow motion. So I didn't actually get to see the deck go off, but it looked like it was close and that it was trying to. Yeah, um, um, my build was slightly more focused on tempo. So controlling the board um, and the ebb and flow of play to the extent where you essentially want to then, you know, get a devastation tied on top of your library and cast it at instant speed, bounce everything, and then when everyone's tapped out after trying to replay their boards, that's when you go off kind of thing. Right. Yeah, and it looks like it looks like that build can be very, very powerful, very quick, and very consistent. Um, I do want to see more of it, but I think that's going to be somewhere near your CEDH levels of play. So, mm -hmm. It definitely felt strong, um, and I definitely felt like at the table people needed interaction because... Once that loop goes, it just goes. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the one thing I want to do with it that I haven't really seen anyone talk about, I'm just going to run like 40 burn spells and just play them all off the top of my library and just start shooting things. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking for a way to build that deck for a long time, and I think this might be the commander to deal with. Anyway. Say, Kai Kaikar would be better now. Maybe, but the the card advantage, the card advantage is so good because if you're playing just like Lightning Bolt and Incinerate, the fact that you're using a card to do that in Commander is probably the biggest cost. So, you know, if you can just keep playing more of them, that's what's got me attracted to it. Um, speaking of cards to win a game, Garrett Conclave Exile, that thing can just win with no cards played if it gets going. Yeah. You said you've seen a pretty tuned list of it floating around? Yeah, um, my opponent was playing Rampaging Baelos and Helm of the Host. Good cards, good cards. Like Things like Doubling Season, um, what's the green one? Parallel Lives, yeah. Yep. They were playing that sort of stuff, and honestly, like my Elsha deck wanting to control things, but... You can't really do much against token production unless you have the board wipe in your hand. Yeah, yeah, you just need board wipes against tokens. Yeah, it was pretty it really crazy. No um, I'll tell you what, though. I, I posted this on Twitter the other day, and if you find that your meta is a little bit full of tokens right now, Crafty Cut Purse is a great card. I don't even know what that does. What does that do? Excellent. Um, three and a blue, flash. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, all tokens that would be created under an opponent's control this turn are instead created under your control. Oh, oh, oh my. The uh, the opponent went to combat with the Helm of the Host, and I was like, well, that triggers on the stack. I'm just going to flash this guy in. Take a copy <laughs> Take a copy of your Gearid. Um, do you want to make any more tokens? Because if you do, I'll get them. <laughs> nice. It's sweet. Um, there are applications that I would not recommend because I like playing Smothering Tithe and Wheels, but you can see where that goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. I've been main decking that because my meta at the moment is Gearhead, it's Selesnia token decks, it's uh, just decks that like to spam tokens. So. Right. 
Uh, I was talking to someone, I don't know, maybe like a year, year and a half ago, and they just ran Virulent Plague in their main deck just because, like, tokens just happen often. And what Virulent Plague do? Uh, tokens get minus one, minus one. Okay, okay. It's uh, one, one mana black enchantment, so you just pose tokens, and they're like, yeah, it's just awesome as a main deck card because it always hits something, so... There's no uh, shortage of things that people want to skull clamp. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the one time that I saw Jirid was I played a couple videos with it. I built in every additional combat spell that exists in Naya. And that's not really the way to go about building that deck. Like you're better off picking probably the five or six best ones and sticking with those. But another player was also playing the same commander and Desolation Twin is absurd. Like if you're copying the Desolation Twin token, is it's very absurd. <laughs> things get wild. That's that's a lot of ten tens. Um, but anyway, yeah. So it can definitely pack a punch. The one thing I did find that was awkward with it was just the fact that like you need to attack with it and have the commander survive. So maybe something like an Iroas or some sort of unblockable is going to be a good idea with that commander. Yeah, for sure. I mean, five toughness helps, but it's not it's not massive, is it? Right. Exactly. Like at some point, people can just block it and kill it. So you do need to be a little careful with it, but. Um, overall, it's strong, but I think it's I think because of that, it was relatively balanced too. Like you need things to keep it from dying. So, yeah, the only way I won that game with Alsha was I managed to etherize. <laughs> yeah, that's a great card. Yeah, um, just yeah, there's some list of cards I hate to play against, but love to play with. <laughs> oh yeah, it's backbreaking. Anyway, moving on from there, we're getting to my favorite commander, and that is Gerard Weatherlight Hero. Have you played Gerard at all? I have, I have. I um, I made myself a build that used, took advantage of being able to recycle things like Oblivion Stone. Um, and I also snuck in a few combos in there to try and win with, so. Which combos uh, had, were you using? I, I think I had um, the, the Kiki Jiki with Felidar, Restoration that, Angel. That's a good one, I run that one. Uh, for us, I had Loyal Retainers, uh, Altar of Dementia, that's a good I had one. basically quite a few. Um, did you also run was... the Did you run the Karmic Guide Revelark combo also? I did, um, but I also had quite a lot of haste. So I had like Urabrask. I had the Hammer of Perforos because that's an artifact which comes back. Um, and also, what else? What was the other thing that I was playing that gave them haste? Battle Driver, maybe. Oh yeah, Battle Driver. Battle Driver is so good. Yeah, um, yeah. So my plan was essentially keep board wiping and bringing back hasty creatures pre-combat. Hit people right. and draw into a combo. Uh, and you feel like that's been working most of the time? I do, I do. Um, what about you? How have you been playing? Yeah, uh, I've been doing just like full combo. So I've been skipping the haste stuff because I actually just don't care about attacking at all. Uh, which is effective, but like is not particularly exciting for me to play, but it just wins. The deck just wins. Like I've been winning so much with it. I faced an angry Omnath uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. And oh yeah. Angry Omnath is a deck that's just given me fits for years. And they had Omnath with two tokens and a greater good in play. And I still won that game. That's what Gerard does. Jeez, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I, I appreciate where you're coming from actually with the whole not being fun to play. Partly why I put the hasty creatures in and that sort of plan as well. Um, just because I do like to just hit face sometimes. Yeah. Um, My deck has foregone that completely and I might need a second one to like scratch the itch of just wanting to attack things, but... Uh, 
It does make me wonder though. So like Gerard is a commander. I always did envisage myself as building it and having it like keeping it built. However, I'm kind of the more I play with it, the more I'm like, well, is leader or is he better in the ninety-nine with the loyal retainers? I haven't even tried him in the ninety-nine yet. That's not like not even a place that I've gotten to. I just had time to test it. Yeah, I just part of me is thinking if I'm just playing a generic Boros deck. Is it be- is he just a good combo piece to have? Like, is that where he sits? Is that his his place, or is he better as a general? I've not really worked that out yet. Um, I haven't either. I don't have a go wide deck right now for the most part. Like angels is my most go wide ish kind of deck, and I wouldn't even call it like that go wide. It's you know get two or three angels into play and attack wide style, and but... just thick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> with two C's. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so I don't have like, I don't have a great deck right now to test that out in. I thought about putting back together like uh, one of the Aurelia, just, you know, kind of low and go wide sort of decks to test that out. I just haven't had time to do it, but that is a place that I'd like to get to at some point as well. It's great board wipe protection. Like people just can't wipe the board against you now. He's like, oh, all my stuff comes back or you wipe the board for them and now everyone else's stuff is gone and you're swinging away. It's interesting because... Since I started playing Commander, I've seen a general decrease in the amount of board wipes people play. It's weird. I have too. I have too. People are... I, I consistently play lots because I think they're really bloody good. And especially if you manage to, like, you know, survive it yourself. Like, it's just game ending. Oh, yeah. A lot of people don't really recover from a board wipe as well. It's strange. People just don't seem to play as many as they used to. Yeah, no, they really don't. And I think I've been thinking about that a bit too. Go wide has fallen out of favor. The format's become more combo centric, I think. Like just there's a combo for everything now. Like there's so many commanders that are you play them, you untap with them, you win, or maybe it takes two turns to do it, but some iteration of that where it's just play your commander, do the thing with your commander, win the game. A lot of times that is just more effective than try to just lay out as many creatures as you can. But now people aren't really prepared to deal with massive creature armies. So like when people don't run board wipes, you can just spam all the creatures you want. And uh, yeah, for sure. It's interesting because the guys that I played with at the weekend that came down from somewhere else, um, they said that their meta was probably like a little bit stronger um, than ours, but everyone was in their meta is like playing these solitaire decks with not that much interaction. Right. Um, And you really notice the weaknesses of those kind of decks when you take them out of that meta and then just plonk them in against some other decks that are a bit lower on the scale. Plenty of interaction and plenty of creatures on a slightly lower powered deck. That deck actually has a good chance of beating those kind of decks. Right. Uh, And we were talking about this, uh, not to jump too far off topic, but like you were saying that you were playing what, like 20, 25 pieces of interaction in some of your decks? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, a lot of that is stapled to creatures, right? But yeah. Right. And it's just like, if you if you blow up someone's commander, let's say like three times, do they really have a chance to get back into the game? Uh, I don't know. Like that, need, that game needs to go pretty long for them to be able to recast it and like do their thing. So yeah, I've seen a lot of decks like that too, where they are strong in a vacuum, but the second you fire removal at their commander, they just crumble. But you know, you know what they say? Gotta break a few eggs to make an omelette. <laughs> and speaking of eggs, let's move on. <laughs> so next up is Atla Palani, Nest Tender. In my deck list for Atla, I've actually included a recipe on how to make poached eggs. Um, nice. 
so you should check that out. I'll put a link to that in the description below. Eggs are just the most versatile breakfast food. They really right? are. They really are. Uh, you can just put them in a glass and drink them raw, Rocky style, or you can scramble them, poach them, fry them. Stick them in a stew. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, Lord of the Rings. Um, anyway, so yeah, at the Pilani, nest tender. I think there's like two ways you can, well, there's probably more than two, but there's two general ideas of where you can go with this deck. I think it's great as a dinosaur commander if you want to go really thematic, uh, but I think it's also great as just a way to cheat big, fat, interactive creatures into play. I think this commander is really interesting, and here's why. It's like, it's sort of mixing the Timmy style of play of just like huge creatures that you wouldn't normally be able to have a lot of, but it gets them into play really quickly and is surprisingly resilient. Like, those sort of decks are usually blown to tempo blowouts and board wipes and things like that, but Atla is very fast. The egg mechanic is a form of board wipe protection if you just leave one and Atla open. Uh, you're probably going to get a creature back out of a board wipe. And you also get these huge creatures super quickly. Like, it's a lot of things. Uh, in my opinion, I would say this is one of the more powerful commanders out of the set. And maybe a reason that people need to start running more board wipes and mm. I, um, more interaction. More I think part, part of what makes us so strong is that oftentimes, you know, one creature ahead of curve is difficult, but doable. Someone reanimates something early. You know, someone ramps a bit, gets a big creature into play. It's scary, but you can probably deal with it. Yeah. Atla has the ability to just put out two or three even ahead of curve. And when there's just that many threats on the board, you just need a board wipe, right? Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. That is uh, a very good analysis. Because like your one path to exile doesn't really answer it, does it? Like, like yeah. I'd be, I also want to say something brave that might be a little bit controversial, but... All right, bring on the controversy. I think she's just strictly better than Mael the Anima. Oh, I'd agree. 100%. Like, I think Mael's just like, nah, yesterday's news now. Like, I was never a big fan of Mael to begin with because I've seen a lot of people whiff on that six mana ability. If you whiff on that thing, that's like time walking yourself, basically. You know, oh. anytime before like turn 12, anyway. Interesting so. interaction with Atla that I did want to point out, though. Okay. Um, if you find yourself in a vampire's deck and you're running the <laughs> card, <laughs> I've told you about this already. It's good, You've right? told me about it. I'm excited. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm giddy with laughter. Um, Go on. So there's a card called New Blood. Um, it's two and two black. It's a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast it, you have to tap a vampire that you control. You gain control of target creature. Um, it becomes a vampire. And any instance where a creature type is mentioned in its rules text, you replace that type with vampire. So let me just sum this up for you. If you steal someone's Atla Palani with new blood, tokens die with Edgar. You get to cascade into more vampires. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so nasty. That's so, so nasty. It's like, I mean, Mardu doesn't get to just clone, does it? But this is no. that's a pretty sweet option. Yeah, that is a really cool interaction. Uh... <laughs> My flatmate is uh, in the process of building Atla, and I just keep nagging him to finish so that I can blow him out with that. And I really hope he doesn't hear this episode before we get to play. <laughs> yeah, uh, tell them they're going to want to run a homework path, for sure. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that's so good. That. 
Okay, so I guess then that's a good point to move on to the next commander on the list. Uh, you wanted to talk about Kirik, right? Yep. Kirik, son of Yogmoth. Uh, I think that is the hyped commander of this set. There's usually one commander in every set that people are just really excited about. Uh, for this set, I think it's this one, although there are a lot of commanders to be excited about, but I've heard a lot of people talking about, oh, I want to build Kirik. Oh, I want to build Kirik. Kirik seems the easiest to break, I think. It's the easiest to break, but because it's also the... <laughs> it's fragile, and because it's the hyped commander of the set, people just shoot it with removal instantly. Like, you play it, and they're just like, nope, swords, path, pongify, whatever they got, right at Kirik. Yep. So you've spent four mana, lost six life, and uh, have done nothing because you just got blasted with removal. So I think for that deck to work, you want to have things that you can do right away when Kirik's in play, which also means maybe not necessarily running it down there the turn just to get it out there. Like, you know, if you, maybe if you have some boots or something like that to protect it, that's a different story. But I don't think you want to just, like, run it down there unprotected without the ability to gain additional value right away. I um, agree. And I think that... I think that's kind of true for most commanders. Like, I very rarely cast my commander on curve unless... I've kind of assessed the board and the decks I'm playing against and feel like it's got a good chance of untapping. Right. Um, just because there's so many people that will just shoot a commander as soon as they can because it's a commander, yeah. right? Um, and I found this similarly. Like, when I was playing the Elsha deck, I Elsha unless I had some kind of protection or way to back it up, and I was on, like, seven, eight, nine mana at that point. Yeah, you don't want to run a commander down there and just have it get blasted. It's almost like getting time-walked. You know, you lose a turn, basically. Especially uh, when you're paying all the life to get him down there most yeah, of the time. The, the life is the big thing, too, because it's like, all right, if you have to cast it twice, what is your life total now? Like, low 20s at best? You know, you've if you've cracked, like, if, well, I suppose it's mono black, you wouldn't need fetches, but, like, if you have an Ancient Tomb or a Mana Vault or, you know, drawn any cards in mono black, like, your life total just disappears with Kirik, and I'm not saying it can't be powerful, because it certainly can. I think it's probably one of the most easily abusable commanders that we've seen in a while, uh, maybe at least since, like, Vanifar or something like that, but because of that, people just shoot it right away. So you got to protect it, you got to be able to get value out of it. Now, I know some people are going to argue and say that you just wanted to get, out, get it out there as fast as you can and just combo off as fast as humanly possible, and maybe... If it works, it's going to look like a great idea. If it doesn't work, it's going to look like a horrible idea. So, you know, it's sort of balancing those two things out. It's the um, definition of a glass cannon, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly and what it is. And he even wants to be running glass cannons like Aetherflux Reservoir. And I think, is it with Bolas's Citadel, you can kind of just do everything? Yeah, uh, the Bolas Citadel, especially Aetherflux Reservoir combo, is right at home in that deck. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's very strong, but very glassy, and, you know, you have to weigh that downside of, if it dies, you're losing a lot of life to get this thing back into play quickly. And in the two games that I played with it, like, I just did nothing. People shot both times, and I watched other people play the game for however many turns they went. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's what inspired the name. What does glass sound like when you break it? Crick. Crick. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I'm being facetious, but at the same time, I'm pretty sure that they called Gerard Gerard because it's green, white, red. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> like, stranger things have happened, right? Right, yeah. I, I read somewhere that people are pretty sure that Savage Beating was the name of the card in playtesting, and they just never changed it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
if you ever face that card. Yeah, that name, it's that name rings so, <laughs> Yeah, the name the name rings so unbelievably true. Anyway, so yeah, Kirik, very abusable, very strong, but also very glassy. So one that you have to be careful with. I haven't actually seen it go off yet. Uh, maybe someday I will, but uh, mm -hmm. at this moment of time, I think there's just too much attention on it, and people are just like, nope, shoot it. Uh, moving on from there, I want to talk about all three of the red-black commanders at once, just for the sake of time. Uh, they all have different abilities, but they're all really cool, and they do intertwine a little bit. Uh, and I did find that when I was playing the deck, they all just fit into the deck super, super well. Anya, I had the chance to play the pre-con. Haven't had a chance to play the the CEDH version of it yet, but I have played like a kind of mid-power reanimator. Is that really? the one that combos with World Gorger Dragon? Yes, it does. So you play the World Gorger combo, and uh, basically you just mill your deck until you get to cut the ribbons, and uh, then you burn everyone out with infinite mana. So haven't tried it yet, but it seems like it should be really easy to assemble. Only thing you got to worry about is interaction from your opponents. Seems very, very powerful, and one that I might try because it doesn't actually seem that expensive to put together. And uh, maybe I'll take it to my combo group just to see how it plays. But yeah, um, I think um, I saw rumblings about Grev and Predator Captain being pretty strong. Did uh, did you get to see Josh's deck in action at all? I didn't see Josh's deck in action, but I did face one Greven on my channel, and I mean, it killed a player in like five or six turns and was ready to kill the other two on the following turns. So it's very fast and gets huge and draws a ton of cards and does a lot of things that Red Black likes to do. I've been calling it like a true suicide aggro commander. It can kill things super quickly, but it comes It's, it's like the... Uh... It's like those Berserker ones from Lord of the Rings with the, the try and light the, uh, the bombs on fire. Yeah. Like, he's coming. <laughs> he's going to wreck his way through the crowd. <laughs> Question is, how much life do you want to pay for that? Uh, that one's very strong, but also glassy and prone to removal. I think I played like a single piece of interaction and hit them once and they died kind of thing because they burned all their life. <laughs> uh, so you got to be careful with it. Protection also going to be good for that deck. Uh, and then finally, I had the chance to play Chainer the other day. Uh, video hasn't gone up yet, but probably will be by the time this podcast airs. Chainer interests me. It's really interesting, and I've got to do more work with it. I built kind of a high-curve reanimator thing and jammed a bunch of my favorite big black creatures into a deck. And it wasn't bad doing that. I think you can make it a lot stronger if you just want to go like full combo and try to get like Micaeus and Triskelion. Maybe you could, eh, I don't know if you need World Gorger combo, but whatever, you know, other graveyard-based combos. Or, oh, the one I'm thinking of, uh, Sire of Insanity, Mind Slicer, that kind of stuff. If you're just like, I want to end oh. the game as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fun cards, right? Isn't magic Yeah, fun? super fun. Um, speaking of, like, super fun and interactive decks, Primacon interests me in the sense that super friends with Primacon seems very interesting oh yeah Ooh. because like the weakness of like planeswalkers is that everyone attacks them if right. there's only one person attacking them that makes your your ways to protect them a lot stronger yeah oh my that seems good and it lets you get set up and do your stupid planeswalker rolls a lot easier um yeah i don't want to go too much into detail on that because if you guys want to check out the Legend Creature podcast, uh, the guys on that side of things did a great Primacon episode last week. Yeah, Super Friends Primacon. I think I'm going to try it, you know? It looks fun. I'll probably have to try it one time on my channel now. It 
wasn't even on my radar, but I do want to play another Promicon game at some point. I just, I think the ability to funnel creatures in a direction is really cool. It doesn't work for every single meta. Like, it's not going to be great against combo, and maybe you want a few counter spells against combo decks. But if people are just trying to attack stuff, I think it's such a cool ability. I really, really like it. And it's really cool. I think it's my pick for, like, probably most fun and most interesting commander out of Commander 19. Like, it's just such a unique ability uh, and has just a lot of different ramifications and, like, weird political aspects to it that's just really, really cool. If you get the chance, you should definitely try it out. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we've talked about some of the commanders from 2019, uh, but what about the cards in the 99? Um, we've got a few cards we'd like to look at, things that have been printed for the first time in this set. Uh, we're not going to go over reprints because everyone knows how they work, um, but there's some, some interesting things. Yeah, like the first one that I kind of wanted to get into was Mandate of Peace. It's an interesting card. You can cast a spell only during combat. Uh, your opponents can't cast spells this turn, end the combat phase, for one and a white. So Mandate interests me because it's going to change how people play. Um, I think on paper it's very easy to sort of F6 your way through the first main phase in combat if you've got nothing to do. Um, yeah. The timings wise is going to be kind of telegraphed a little, but I mean, I just really want to put it under an Isochron Scepter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, um, if you if you want to put that under an Isochron yeah. Scepter, you should try Silence under an Isochron Scepter. That's too easy, though, right? That's that's too easy. Um, but th this looks interesting off Sunforger. If anyone's mm -hmm. kind of like doing any kind of finite things during combat, um, or anything that might happen in the end step that's been set up as a trigger, interesting way to get around that. So, because you end the combat phase, you can also skip your opponent's attack, correct? Yeah, that's correct. There's a lot of utility in that. You, if you need to skip past an opponent's attack because they've got a ton of stuff, you can do that, but you can also protect your things if you need to. I think this is going to slot right into a lot of Jeskai Sunforger builds because those are the decks that kind of want to dictate the ebb and flow of the game. Um, and being able to skip combat while you're doing tricksy blue things is quite a nice, nice little thing that you can have in your back pocket. Right, and also, like, if you're playing in paper... Uh, maybe a little bit harder on Magic Online, but in paper you can just be like, "Who are you planning to attack?" Generally, most people don't lie, but if you know, if they try to backstab you a little bit, then uh, end the combat phase on them and not have to die to combat damage as a result of weird political shenanigans. But yes, I do like. I think you're right. Like Jeskai decks, decks that want to control kind of what's going on, uh, maybe more political based decks. I think it's a really cool card for those type of setups. Hmm. It might even find its way into the sort of Marquesa Aikido builds that people build. I'm not familiar with those ones. Which one's that? The Mardu Marquesa. And your aim in the game is to essentially play all of the kind of weird effects, like defect, deflecting palm, that oh, sort of thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, and your entire game is to just sit back and do that, essentially, so that people right. don't hit you. Um, and then you have some arbitrary win condition. But yeah. Right. Cool. So moving on from that one. Next up, we have Savine's Reclamation. Have you had a chance to play this one at all? I have, actually. So it's interesting, because when this card first got spoiled, I was like, sweet, this is going in, like, all the decks. Um, but actually, like, there's some decks where it just doesn't quite fit, and that's kind of decks where I want to be playing more creatures. It's interesting, because it's a really good effect, and it's obviously the Sun Titan effect, right? Right. But 
it also gets back lands, so if you like crack some fetches, you can get yourself some more lands and essentially ramp, which is nice. But it's hard to fit into the 99, honestly. Um, I've tried it in my Lyra Dawnbringer build. Um, I believe which it. Plays I believe it. A lot of like um, small utility creatures and artifacts, um, and a couple of enchantments too. And it was actually pretty good. Pretty good, actually. I, I got my uh, what did I get back? I got back my Lightning Greaves and my Angelic Renewal, which is quite quite good. Yeah, those are good cards. Um, it's hard to fit in the 99 because the slots that it would compete with are things like, I mean, sure, mono-white it's a lot easier, right? But in decks that aren't just mono-white, it's like, I mean, would you rather have this or Unburial Rights? Right. Um, Unburial Rights, I think I would take over it. And that's the decision I made when I looked at slotting it into Edgar Markov. Yeah. The thing that I see with this is return target Feast and Famine from the graveyard to the battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have I have one job for this card to do, and that's to get my Feast and Famine back after someone blows it up. When it's going to be good, it's going to be great. Yeah. I just think it's really hard to fit into the 99. I, I do believe you on that. Where I do see it fitting is actually, like, Boros Equipment, honestly. Um Boros equipment doesn't have great ways to get equipments back if you don't have Sun Titan. I've started using Goblin Welder a little bit more, and uh, who's the other one? That's the new one that's like Goblin Welder that's pretty OP. Goblin uh, Engineer. Yeah, that one. Uh, it says, find target Winter Orb and then bring a sword back and then flip-flop the Winter Orb sword. Isn't magic fun? Um, <laughs> yeah. I um, Yeah, so like, Sabine's like, yeah, as I say... I have put it in a carry Bruce and it's, it's it's decent in that deck too. Um yeah. A deck with a lot of equipment, a lot of lower costed stuff uh that's going to be in the 3 or less that you need to get back. I think that's where it's going to fit. The fact that um, it has flashback is useful if you're getting milled. If you find yourself getting milled a lot. It's good in a black white deck that wants to combo. Yes. That gets back a get, lot of black white combo pieces. Get yourself your blood artist and your sack outlet. You can get right. yourself like any number of silly things that black white like to do right you hit on a good point is that with so many new cards coming out it's just tough to get all of the things you want into a deck now like there are literally hundreds of good cards vying for a spot in your 99 and you know it's you just have to prioritize like how badly do you need this effect versus something else you know can you live without something else can you live without this uh and it's a really tough battle that I've been noticing more and more over the past year with so many new cards coming in. Sure. Um, and I think it's also a mark of when you're a good deck builder, it gets a lot harder to make those cuts um, because you can evaluate things on lots of different axes. And I think you'll notice as you grow as a player um, that it becomes a lot harder to, to really make cuts on decks. Yeah. The problem that I have is that when I have to cut something, I know what I'm giving up. Like... I'm like, oh, I'm giving up the thing that blows up enchantments or something. And I'm like, I'm going to lose to enchantments now. Let's just hope there's no enchantments that yeah, are a really yeah. big problem. And, you know, whatever the case is. But, like, once you're very aware of the effect that you're giving up, it uh, becomes really painful making cuts in your deck. So, I mean, I just a bit of a shameless plug. I just did an article recently about the idea of sort of having a couple of cards in your deck box for different meta games. Um, so we can maybe put that one in the description because it kind of discusses that idea a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, and I've been, that's the thing that I've been doing for a long time too. Like two or three cards can really change a matchup for you. So uh, yeah, we'll put a link to that one in the description below. 
and maybe maybe a topic worth revisiting at some point for a more formal discussion. Perhaps. Yeah, agreed. Okay, uh, so moving on, Master Minish is really interesting. It's one in a blue with flashback three in a blue. Until your next turn, creatures target player controls have base power and toughness one one. Um, I think this is a really cool card. Um, I think it's great pol politically speaking because it, it just makes combat really difficult and annoying for your opponents. Yeah. Um, especially if you, especially if you can cast this at instant speed because it is a sorcery. But you, right. you're playing blue, right? <laughs> right. Um, I I also think it's interesting with like either an Is It deck or a Jeskai deck that cares about like burn wraths because you can just put like x is one <laughs> like yeah that's a good point actually I didn't just surprisingly that. efficient um yeah i did that with when i was playing the precon um because it has magma quake i'll just cast this and then i'll flash it back and then i'll magma quake and i had enough mana to do all of that like it was great yeah that's awesome i wish it was an instant like i wish it came at instant speed but it probably also like a little too good at instant speed but if you're playing elsha you can play it at instant speed. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing Elsha, you probably have Vidalcan Ori and Leyline of Anticipation anyway, so. Uh, but it is interesting in that, like, you can power down, especially like a Voltron deck or just some big thing that's going to uh, be real bad for your life total. Uh, you don't have to deal with it for a turn or two, depending on, you know, if you flash it back and all that. And mm. that can make all the difference in a game, honestly. This card performing best in conjunction with being able to damage wrath these creatures away uh but i also see it being uh really good outside of that politically speaking because you can especially on paper like you can really have some interesting discussions about combat when you've got this card sure you could be like hey if i make this thing small will you attack him or her because it's until your next turn so they stay right. one ones right yeah so if they have a big blocker that's kind of keeping everyone away not anymore also like I don't think green needs this, but if you're playing within Simic or Sultai and you've got Trample, it's <laughs> pretty Yo. good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here comes Galta, or there goes Galta, because it's a 1-1 one -one now. Well, I was just thinking if you're playing in those colors, like, so, like, if you have, like, Thunderfoot Bailoff giving your team plus two and Trample. Oh, yeah, that's a card. You just go, right, well, all your guys are 1-1s. One I win. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's a pretty interesting card. Yeah. Uh, moving on from that one, Next up, we have Bone Miser. Have you seen this thing at all? I've seen it in play, but it does intrigue me. Uh, it's like Waste Knot. Pretty much where you want Waste Knot, you want Bone Miser. And... It's kind of like the counterpart to it, right? Yeah. When that happens, you lose the game, is more or less what happens. <laughs> like, they do the thing, and they get a zillion triggers, and you just lose. Because now they've got creatures, mana, they're drawing cards, like... Uh, what do you do? And maybe it's a little bit slow at five mana. Maybe not for the fast combo decks, but if you just need access to another Waste Knot, yeah, this is your card right there. It, the amount of triggers it generates is insane. Yeah, I see this slung into quite a few different decks, actually. Right. So, you know, black decks can discard cards for any number of reasons. Uh, if you've got red or blue in there, you might be doing wheels. Um, if you're black, you just might discard stuff just because. It's so powerful. It's so, so powerful. Next up on the list, uh, we have Dockside Extortionist. Um, this little goblin seems to be the uh, the main value in the Jeskai deck this year. He's uh, he's definitely creeping up in value. I think last time I looked, he was at $25. I bit the bullet and bought one yesterday. I think I paid... It was low 20s. 
Yeah, I really like this card. I've had some interesting thoughts on it. And I think that as a way to ramp, there are going to be games where you sit down and there's a load of green decks that just like use cultivate and stuff. And you don't really get a chance to really take advantage of this card. Right. But then there's going to be games where you're playing against decks that don't do that. And if you play this guy on like turn four or something, you can jump straight ahead to like turn seven or eight. Yeah. And I guess yeah. the ceiling on this thing is when you can blink it or reanimate it, right? Right. It's a creature, so the ability to abuse it is high. Uh, maybe not in mono red specifically, but with any other color, basically, you can do some wacky stuff. I mean, I'd do it in mono red. You could play Microsynth Flies and just make all the mana. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and try try not to like try not to play the con, but give into the dark side anyway, right? Yeah, uh, just you're playing mono red. Why not? Just do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Play the blood moons. Play the cons. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's cool for two mana. I like it. It's another way that they're trying to catch up some of the colors that don't get to do silly things in commander as often. Right, and I think it's really interesting because as you point out, it's not always going to be amazing, as you said. If there's a lot of green decks, green decks tend not to need artifacts and enchantments in the same way that other colors do, especially artifacts for ramp. Yeah, that stuff's late game, right? And at that point, yeah. it's like you're either already losing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if you're trying to get it off a of Zendikar Resurgent, you're probably in trouble. Yeah. But, you know, there's people I know, especially when you get to these like higher tiers of play where, you know, people are trying to go turn one Chrome Mox. Uh, lay down all the free mana rocks, the zero and one mana rocks, basically. Black Knight Extortionist is really good against those kind of decks. Yeah, I think part of what's holding its price tag is the ability to play it in things like uh, Vintage, because... Yeah, some... Shops is a deck uh, that is yeah. artifacts. All these artifacts, and it's like, well, sure, I'll just take all this free mana. Yeah, I'll make 30 mana, why not? I can so... probably win the game with that in Vintage. Uh, but yeah, I have... Yeah, I like it. It's, it's a, it's a two-drop. Um, even if you play it and you get like two treasures, it's still doing its job. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. One to two treasures, very reasonable. Uh, three to four is awesome. And more than that is probably you're close to winning. I think like depending on your deck, depending on power level and things like that. But assuming it's mm -hmm. a high power deck that can like take advantage of a situation easily, five or six mana is really abusable at an early point in the game. So it's also worth knowing that it's another piece in the toolbox for if you're playing a Revel and Riches deck. <laughs> yep. Gotta, gotta get them treasure tokens. Like, I mean, if you can reanimate this in someone's end step, like that can get you there. Miraculous recovery. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. I love that card so much. Yep. Uh, anyway, I'm going to be trying out my Dockside Extortionist tonight, so hopefully I'll have more information on in the future. I'm very excited about it. I haven't actually had a chance to play it yet, but I think it's going to be good. Mm. I think it's going to be real good. Yeah, it's going to take you straight to the ready money round. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, it, you know, I'm playing it in a combo deck, so, like, if it works, the game's probably over, or thereabout. But moving yeah. on from that, we've got Oren Frostfang. You said you've had some experience with this one. Uh, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, like, in categories of cards that green didn't need, is Oren Frostfang on the board? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This thing is great. It's it's like Bow of Nylea meets Biden of Thassa in one card. Yeah, seems really good. I mean, I got super excited. I have Aronis, the Indomitable deck, which its gimmick is essentially playing fight spells or fight effects because of all the death touch. Yep. Uh, it's so good. It draws you 
obviously creatures have death touch if you're in green and you've got trample like trample and death touch is like the awesome thing to aim for right right uh i've been disparaging of bow of nylea in the past and people have pointed out that the death touch and trample interaction is massive and i have come around a bit on bow of nylea since then i'm like oh yeah mm. death touch and trample is really good together so is yeah it's just a solid card we don't really need to say much more than that if you're going yeah. if you're going wide as well um it's just very good uh, if you're going tall with trample it's very good right what more yeah. can i say draws cards kill stuff win the game do good things who's next hate mirage this is an interesting one because it's not like the kind of card where you go oh my god this is what i want to buy a commander deck to open right it's kind of forgettable in some sense like when you look through the, the cards that are in the deck essentially hate mirage creates up to two tokens of different target creatures your opponents control they gain haste and you exile them at the beginning of the next end step i think the part that's less exciting is that you lose the tokens essentially um, yeah but like there's ways to to copy them or keep them and I mean, you need to untap the next turn if you've done this on the right creatures. Right, you just copy an Oren Frostfang and draw a bazillion cards and swing with Death Touch. Yeah, or you, I mean, I mean, what's the ceiling on this? Do you copy something with Infect? Uh, the ceiling, yeah, you copy a Blightsteel Colossus or an, Eldra <laughs> yeah. or an Eldrazi. That's the ceiling. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, you know, like, giving them haste as well is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I did a video on ETB creatures a long time ago, and ETB creatures are like basically the lifeblood of this format. For four mana, if you copy two nice value creatures, you're going to be doing really well. Good things will happen. I mean, if I'm playing mono red, right, and I copy a wood elves and bolus, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. And that that's not even the ceiling, right? That's just like value. Right. And you're going to yeah. see those creatures all the time. Right, yeah. So you know what's actually a great way to compare this, a great card to compare this to is Mirage Mirror. Mirage Mirror is like the utility card of utility card. Whatever the best thing your opponents do, you just make a copy of it. And I see a little bit of that in Hate Mirage. Uh, if your opponents are playing good creatures, now you've got good creatures too, and you've got access to abilities that you may not have had otherwise. Uh, in addition to whatever value that's going to generate, or if you're just trying to go for the alpha strike and take someone out, both are a really good place to be. I agree. It's also got half of Mirage Mirror in its name, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. I noticed that I mean, while that... I was going through. I noticed that while I was saying it. Is that the same Minotaur from the hate from the Mirage Mirror? Maybe. Uh, it looks like it's from Amonkhet. Like the you got the the same guy. This could be a story. Oh, he's looked be. in the mirror, and this is what he sees. <laughs> mirror, mirror on the wall. Uh, the, the one sad part about it is that it is a sorcery, so you cannot Sunforger it. Makes me sad. Yeah, that is kind of sad, actually. I mean, it would be, like, way too good if you could, but, you know, mm. I can dream. I can dream. Moving on from this one. Yeah, let's move on. Who's up next? Aeon Engine. Eon Engine. Aeon? Eon? I don't uh, care. Do you so... care? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Uh, but, so I did a video on this one a while back and I was very excited about it. The ability is really unique and I think that it's really cool for that. The problem is, is that it's very slow. Like it's such a slow card to cast. I've been paying attention to just games that I've been playing recently and I noticed like even in a quote unquote casual meta, 
on turn five, things are wild. If you don't play a board wipe on turn five, someone's probably about to win. So like just trying to turn five your Eon engine without does, additional support. Does like cards that I would say is quote unquote casual decks kind of that I've played against in my meta, like a good high six, seven, um, even though they're technically casual. They're casual because the way they're set up kind of clunky and they're just they just want to play loads of permanents, right? Right. Um but like there's like an Astrid deck that I'm terrified of because that thing just gets going. Yeah, and at some point you're just like, I need to take a turn back uh to try to get ahead of my opponent. Hmm. Cause I think you know my opinion on this. <laughs> so I'm gonna tell a little story uh that's tangentially related to Eon Engine. There's a fan of the channel that I've been playing at one of the shops I play at. And over the course of two weeks, over five games, I sat to his right in all of those games for some reason. A couple of those games were five players, and one of those games was a three-player game. He won the die roll every single time in those games, so I went last in five games every single time that I played him. And like the thought in my mind, I need to run Eon Engine. Like this is the only way I can fix this problem of going last. Because the next I, thing, the next thing you're going to tell me is that he was playing blue, and you were the last person that you could counter. There was definitely an Urza deck in there, but he was switching decks each time, so like you know, right, sure. Uh, you know, wasn't the same thing every time. But I actually I ran the math on the likelihood of someone winning five die rolls in a row also considering the five player games and it was a half of a percent it was like one in 1875 or something mm -hmm. like that like it's absurdly low and i'm just like i can't do anything if i'm going last in every single game and it was super frustrating and i'm like well this card's the answer but oh it's so slow it's like it's just not yeah i think so like really infuriating i think the thing with the Eon engine for me is that i think there are two kinds of people that will build this and i think the first kind are the people that like to play Warp World and other Chaos cards. They just like silly things to happen, and that's how they get their fun. Um, <laughs> At the I expense think, of others. That's, that's implied, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other type of people that run this, the people that will break it and essentially go, well, which player do I, at the table, do I not want to have a turn? This player will no longer have a turn. Right. Um, and outside of that, there are way better five mana do nothing cards that you can play, like Mirari's Wake or Cathar's Crusade or any number of other five mana things that you can untap with will impact right. the game more if you get to untap with them. Right, exactly. If you untap the Mirari's Wake, good things happen. Yeah. So I don't know. It's fun, but I just. It's not for me. <laughs> yeah, I just like it's such a unique ability. Like that's the part that kind of draws me to it is that there's not another card in the game that does that, which is very exciting. But yeah, I think I think they over they played it too safe is what they did. They made it just a little bit too safe. For sure. Um, and yeah, as I'm thinking about it, maybe it was better served as like this would be kind of weird, but like a colorless sorcery that exiles itself. Maybe. Like you just do it one time and that's it. Like there's no you know. I suppose, yeah, I suppose some deck could copy it somewhere, but li very limited interaction. But yeah, it makes mm -hmm. me sad that it uh, is just a little bit too slow uh, based on what's going on in Commander right now. Yeah. If we're on the topic of artifacts that you can break, though, I think we should talk about Scroll of Fate. Yes. So you've said you've had some stories about this one. Yeah, I mean, three mana. You can tap it to manifest a card from your hand. If you're playing any kind of colors that have access to Blink, so you're playing like Brago, Rune. Um, you can just 
put an omniscience into play or something equally nuts. A massive Eldrazi. Yeah. You don't even have to pay for the manifest. It's not like playing a morph where you've got to pay the three. This thing's pretty yeah, nuts. That's true, yeah. Once it's in, you just keep tapping it. Lay a Voltaic key down, tap on tap it, on tap it more. Maybe you're yeah, in Yeah, like, I mean, I played when it was in the pre-con, and it did so much work. Like, they were just casting their first morph for free. They were putting another one in for free with this. Like, insane value. But then if you think about its applications outside of that deck, like, the sky's the limit, right? <laughs> that's what's crazy. So, like, normally when you manifest, you don't know what's coming. You're manifesting from your hand, so you know exactly what you're putting down. That's so there crazy. Just, there are just so many opportunities to do silly things with this. I really yeah. want to build a deck to try it. You were talking about just flipping over huge creatures, and that reminds me of a long time ago, somewhere around, like, planar chaos standard i think i don't know if it was like a tournament deck or it was just something i ran into randomly that would like you play a face down red achroma and then you blink it with cloud shift or whatever the blink card of the day was momentary blink i think and now mm -hmm. you've got this huge creature in play on like turn three turn four uh yep. yeah yeah is a tank it still, it still does annoy me though that red achroma doesn't have haste like what oh yeah me too that one that one kills me it just it, kill, it makes me die a little inside every time I look at it. A lot of times when I first started playing with the Acromas as well, where I just assumed the white one didn't have haste, because obviously right. the red one has haste. Yeah. And, and someone would be like, why didn't you attack with Acroma? And I'm like, it has haste? <laughs> yeah. I feel like they didn't plan well long-term on that card. It's like, well, it's a, there's Morph in this set. We just got to jam a Morph ability onto this card. I would happily trade the Morph for haste. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's pretty much it. I think you wanted to mentioned bloodthirsty blade is something that interested you uh yeah so when i built the marisi deck i wasn't able to get it online it's super sad but i've always been really hot on the goad mechanic because it's so disruptive to people and i haven't had a chance to play with bloodthirsty blade yet but i really but, want um, to would you say that it tends to disrupt that decorum <laughs> yes 100 percent, and uh, a card that we should both be running more of and all of you out there as well should be running more Disrupt Decorum. Like, you know that player that just wants to sit back and just, like, try to combo off and they're not going to attack any? You start goading their stuff and it's going to mess with them so bad. It's cheap to do, which is what makes it awesome. So this is a card worth checking out. And if you know that player that's just trying to sit back all game and try to assemble all their pieces, start goading their stuff and they're going to have a real bad time. Yeah, it's cool. And I've not seen it in play either, but I think it has interesting applications. Yeah, you know, and especially especially if you're at like a more casual to mid-power meta. Unfortunately, I, I won't be able to test this on Thursday nights because that's just like fast combo. But yeah, if you got like a creature kind of meta going on and sit back, just hit them with the goad and watch the sweat start pouring off their forehead as they have to make like horrible decisions about what they have to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think that about wraps things up for Commander 19. Um, well, it doesn't really wrap things up, but it wraps up what we'd like to cover. Right. It wraps up the list of like curated things that we wanted to talk about. Some of the commanders that have looked really interesting. Have you purchased any of the uh, Commander 19 product? I have. Uh, I got Mystic Intellect, the Jeskai deck, and okay. I picked up the... Uh, ugh. I was going to try and be clever there and like name the other deck, and I can't even remember. I got the Rakdos one. I got the Madness uh, one. Merciless Rage. I only know that because I had to look it up for another video that I did. Um, Pick those two up. Sweet. I have two copies of the red-black deck. I have a box of all of them coming that hasn't arrived yet, and uh, I need to look into that. But I did order some singles as well. 
um, singles. I encourage a lot of people to pre-order sometimes if they're cheap, um, just to get ahead of the curve if you think something's a bit hyped, um, and also just to get extra copies because there's no point buying a deck if you just want one card from it. Um, yeah. So I ordered myself a couple of copies of Gerard Bang because I didn't pick up the green deck. Yeah, just just a few little bits and pieces. Copies of Savine's Reclamation. <laughs> <laughs> you got to bring back those feasting famines. Uh... They were cheap. Why don't we like round things off with some some interesting plays? Like, what's been your best play of the last week? The best play of my last week has been. It's going to be in a video. Uh, the video should be up by the time that I talk about it. But Cavalier of Flame, which is a card that I think of that cycle might be the most underrated. Uh, maybe the blue okay. one. Maybe the blue okay. one, but Cavalier, the the red one, still fairly underrated. But the play was, I was in a terrible spot, getting pretty close to dying. Cavalier Flame in play. Opponents are at like relatively high life totals, maybe around twenty or so, and I've got nothing else. So I'm like, ooh, we're in a bad spot. I get a Kiki Jiki. I copy it. I sacrifice the copy, sacrifice the original, and do X damage to each player and I think they're planeswalkers. I had a whip of Erebos in play when I did this, so I went from like 10 life oh to, like two, to like 200. Yeah. And, and won the game. So Cavalier Flame, super, super sweet. If you can copy it, blink it, do stuff with it, it is really powerful. You got to make sure you get some lands into your graveyard, but that's not like a particularly hard thing to do. So yeah, it was a really sweet line of play. That's going to be one of the videos coming out. But I also really like it as a card. There's a lot of untapped potential in that card. It can aggro. It can do things like I just talked about. It's got a lot of tools on it, which I think need to be explored. Mm, that's sweet. Uh, what about you? Do you have any uh, sweet plays that you want to talk about or sweet cards that you've seen over the past week? So, like, is it cheating to have two? Because there's, like, two that are kind of cool. I'll keep no, them shot. Go I'll for it. Shot. Go for so it. So the first one was that... Perfect example of why you need an auto win condition. I was playing against a deck. It was a win grace deck with constant mists. So I was on Aurelia and I couldn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I basically spent the whole game using my combat triggers on my Sun Titan to just keep playing Burnished Heart and getting more land and more land. <laughs> um, eventually I got my Altar of Dementia um, and the Wind Grace player cast a Decimate on me. Okay. I was like, right, well, I guess in response, I need to sap the Sun Titan just to see if I can get anything into my yard. And I completely forgot that the Kalia player to my right that had been behind most of the game had Tariel in play. Okay. Like Avacyn uh, Angel of Hope. <laughs> and they were just like, well, I'll take that with Tariel then because there's nothing else in your bin. Oh, yeah. And then, like, I think maybe there was, like, one other thing in the bin, and then when they untapped, they took that as well. So I was like, well, that didn't go very well at all. I was able to get my ulta back from running, um, but the the way that I kind of won the game was passage, because I had enough mana to just keep casting Aurelia at that point, that I was like, right, well, I have a Duelist Heritage in play. This, tar this Kalia player needs to die because they have, like, so many strong permanents in play. Right. Well... I guess I'll just pump all my mana into casting Aurelia and Rogue and hit you. Um, and then they removed Aurelia in response when they were like one hit off dying. Okay. Okay, so I'll, I'll play this Ancient Tomb. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were just like, oh, how much mana have you got? And I was like, yeah, you're dead. So, And then 
<laughs> um, so then I just had to deal with the constant miss player, who at this point was on like six lands. So I was like, well, I have my altar of dementia back. As soon as I hit a wheel of fortune and start chaining off wheels, and I have Emeria with Karmic Guides, I can just keep milling you. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, he had to get a train and was like, yeah, that's, that seems fair. Nice. Um, so, but the second one was kind of more interesting, actually. I just remembered it. Um, I was playing my Ronus the Indomitable deck, and I managed to get off um, a Cultivate into Nissa, who shakes the world. That card is just busted, right? Which one? The Mana Doubler, the Planeswalker. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I got one of those pretty early, and I was able to keep ramping. It was great. Opponents I was playing against, there were, like, two combo control decks at the table. And I was kind of scared that I wasn't able to close that game quickly. Um, so what I ended right. up doing was instead of swinging at one person to kill them one at a time, which is usually the better aggro strategy, right? he swung at everyone equally. And because that happened, no one really blocked. So I then cast my Wilderness Reclamation to untap my lands in my end step. Uh, I had Nyssa in play and... I think I had, might have had another mana doubler as well. But essentially, when the trigger for Wilderness Reclamation went on the stack, I tapped all my lands to add it all to my mana pool. Untapped, added it all again. The lesser played Squall Line to burn all my opponents. <laughs> <laughs> so like they'd taken this like damage that had put them all to around 15 because they were okay. like, ah, it's fine. We don't need to block. It's not right. enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was like, well, I'm on more than that amount, so I survive because it hits all players and all creatures yep. with flying. Um, yep. And it was instant speed in my end step. So I was like, okay, I guess I burn you all out. And they were like, what in mono green? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I started playing at a time where Hurricane was a very real card. So in the back of my mind, if I see a I'll joke at a table like Hurricane, and they're like, "What card is that?" Like, is that the the sorcery version of Squall Line? I yeah, exactly. Is, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. But it's so good. Like having just that in your back pocket is just great because. Oh yeah, because I mean, a lot of green decks are combat based. There are a lot of a lot of times it's just you know slam a bunch of creatures and like turn them sideways. Usually, you know, there might be a crater hoof in there, but like sometimes you need something that's not combat, like for, you know, if someone's pillow forted or whatever the case is, you need yeah, some other like, type of like damage that isn't creature related. Trample and you make them do all the combat maths and they're like, right, well, if I block this way and I block with these creatures, that puts me on three so I can untap and win. And you're like, no, I'll burn you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's my, that's my play of the week. I think I was pretty chuffed for that. Nice. I love it. Mono green burn. Maybe I need to build a hurricane deck now. That's that's the whole point. Just lands yeah, and hurricane. Do it. Like life. So I, I I do love my Ronus deck. I'll have to show you the deck list. Um I run lots of kind of thematic Amonkhet stuff. So I've got like Desert Twister and Tornado Elemental. Ooh, nice. Oh no, not Tornado Elemental. That's the card of nightmares. So good. You just start pumping it with Nylea and Ronus, and then someone dies. Yeah, but like, you know, I play flyers, like a lot, a lot of flyers, and then they all go away. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you on that one. Yeah. Anyway, let's wrap it up there. Uh, thank you to everyone for tuning in this time. Second first episode of the Legions Initiative podcast. Until next Hope that you enjoyed it, and we'll catch you next time. Take care. And this is the crew signing off. Uh, Pramacon's uh, not red-black, though.
Promicon is in fact not red black. I just wrote it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to stop you before you were like, Anjay, Grevin, and Promicon. <laughs> <laughs>